1: If you love the show, please leave us a review on iTunes, share The Real Food Reel with your friends and continue to spread The Real Food Love.
0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of The Real Food Reel. Today we are joined by Marissa Downs, Chief Enabling Officer at Blue Ocean Success Strategies. In today's show, Marissa and I discuss motivation, crucial factors for goal setting. Key Performance Strategies, and the Mindset of Shifting Eating Patterns. Let's dive straight in. Hi, Marissa, and welcome to the show. Hey, Steph. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Awesome. Really looking forward to exploring this topic more with you. Before we start, though, could you share with us a little bit more about Blue Ocean Success Strategies and what you do?
1: Absolutely. Um, Blue Ocean Success Strategies is a, a business I started up um, just over a year ago now when I moved back from New Zealand back to Australia and it's all around mindset and performance for highly driven individuals, leaders, managers, teams and so on. So we work in specifically the mindset space um, around performance but part of that is also ensuring that people have a really good understanding of the requirements of physical nutrition and even spiritual well-being to maximise their performance.
0: Beautiful. I love the term chief enabling officer. I think that's super creative.
1: <laughs> yeah, that was my own invention. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, but certainly people do need, you know, support in the right direction. So let's start with um, the, the topic of motivation. So, you know, can firstly – can you define like what that means and what perhaps you know a lack of motivation might look like
1: absolutely and I think um, motivation's a really hot topic in particularly in performance and and my coaching space at the moment and From a a brain, a neurophysiological perspective, motivation is really about moving away from something that you don't want. Um, It's often driven by a fear of something that you don't want. And it's one of the reasons why when we start something new, we're really amped up and pumped up and motivated, if you like. But then after a little while, we become a little bit more certain in the fact that we're moving away from that thing that we're not after and the motivation starts to wane. So it's something that I work on with my my athletes and my clients in how to use motivation effectively to move away from that thing that we don't want. And in you know in the nutrition perspective it could be that mindset of I don't want to eat bad anymore so to speak and helping them switch that mindset into a committed and a personal responsibility mindset of making a decision, conscious decisions daily and taking ownership and responsibility for themselves to move towards that which they do want, which is obviously where goal setting comes in.
0: Right. So is it, you you know, you're saying sort of rephrasing what the goal is rather than it being sort of like the negative or the past, so setting a goal towards, you know, what you're actually trying to achieve, the positive or the, the, the actual goal in
1: mind? Absolutely, and it's actually bringing them both together because motivation is really important. Um, you know, we, we have to be able to get away from the start place, if you like, the starting point. We have to want to make a change, if you like. So whether that's a change to improve performance, a change to change habits, we need that motivation to be able to move us from that starting point, and then it's bringing that motivation into the vision and the goal setting Um through personal responsibility, ownership, resilience, some of those key performance um, qualities that we need to tap into.
0: Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. So then in that line of thought, obviously goal setting is a big part of that motivation and and moving towards that goal. So how do you teach someone to goal set and, and what are the crucial factors for that?
1: Absolutely. Goal setting, um, the way I work it is – you know, there's, there's a lot of talk about the SMART and the SMARTER goals, which is essentially how we operate, but I break it down into a few different st- uh, steps to that model. Um, and first of all, it's aligning the big picture goal to a purpose or a vision and helping people understand what's driving that purpose. So having goals on a piece of paper is really, really valuable, understanding at a core level from a a level of belief, a level of mindset, and a level of core drivers is really valuable in order to help people to achieve those goals. So we start with the big picture, the purpose, and what it actually means to us when we achieve that, what it actually means to us, why we want to achieve that, and then fuel that with a lot of emotion and energy so it becomes really real. The next step is I look at strategies. This is where we do a gap analysis. So we go all right where is our starting point? Where are we right now? Where do we want to be? And you know, this could be in any aspect whether it's through leadership relationships, physical pursuits, nutrition, anything. It's it's looking at point A and point B and figuring out what the gap is there. And within that gap, we then strategize, all right, what are the measures? What are the benchmarks we need to hit? Um, And this is where sort of the smarter goal system comes in. And it's all about strategizing and bringing that big vision into something tangible and something real um, that we're about to work on. And then the next bit is all about implementation. It's all about okay, now we actually have to do the work to bring it to life. And this is where goals get really real. And it's, in my experience, it's one area that people forget. They write their goals down, they strategize them, and then they don't really take much conscious action around it or they'll do something, but it's not really aligned to the strategy they've put in place. So implementing it is really important. And part of that is where we revisit the person's beliefs around more so themselves and and why they're doing it and how they attach themselves to that purpose from an emotional and energetic perspective. And then the last step is all about their performance. It's about how are they going to um, assess their progress? How are they going to give themselves feedback? What are the rewards and the support systems that they need in place to ensure that they're on track and they're recalibrating that strategy as they go. So it's a it's a four step model really and it's um yeah, it's really effective. I find it really effective across a lot of areas and it's easy for people to work through because they're able to actually tap into the level that might be missing. They might lose sight of their vision so they can adjust that. They may miss something in the implementation strategy section so they can revisit that and it, it's it's nice and clear for them to move to that point B, which is ultimately their performance goal.
0: Yeah, excellent. Would you be able to take us through like an example maybe with an athlete if there's something that you could use from your own experience just to take us through how that would work in that
1: four-step process? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I've worked with so I've worked with Olympians for the last seven years, which is awesome. And this is a model that we have used in in some of those sports. So both here and in New Zealand, we've used different model or different versions of this model. Mm-hmm. Um, one one athlete that comes to mind, or one group of athletes that come to mind, is a group that I was training back in New Zealand under the high performance sports system. Um, world champion sprint cyclists. They would set out, because there was three of them in the team, they would set out the team purpose so they'd have a vision of world championship medal um, or, you know, leading into Rio, for example, they had the, the vision of Olympic gold medal and then they each had their own individual definitions of why that was important to them so you know one of them it was success on the world stage one of them it was to fulfill um a need of being the best athlete in the world and and proving or showing to his family that he was thankful and grateful for all of the effort that they put in him growing up being able to do what he what he wanted to do for example then we'd work down to the strategy we'd say okay well we've got four years to get you to a gold medal at the olympic games so point a is year one what do we need to do in year one we need to hit a certain number of world cups year two we have to hit a commonwealth games medal year three we have to hit a world championship medal year four obviously the olympic games and then we would put measures um and benchmarks in place and this is where nutrition testing and monitoring, body composition monitoring, physiological testing and monitoring, all of those sorts of things sit in that space. Then we'd look at how that's going to be implemented. We'd create annual training plans, weekly, monthly, even right down to the daily training plans and look at all of the components that would fit into that. So we'd have the mindset and the mental skills interspersed throughout those annual monthly and weekly training spaces they'd spend a certain amount of time in the gym they'd spend a certain amount of time on their bike on the track and they'd spend a certain amount of time with their nutritionist um, and any other support services around them be it massage physio and that sort of thing as well so it was it was a it was looking at the the plan and going all right how are we going to implement this who fits into what box over what time. And then each week, each month, it was, you know, group meetings, feedback, giving the athletes feedback and also us as support staff receiving um, feedback both from the metrics that we were taking, the athletes, the coaches, and and one another to ensure that we were supporting them specifically. So it's kind of a a very brief overview of a four-year plan in the Olympic world.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but I can see what you mean because you've obviously got to have the the top line and then the action steps that are going to create each step within that four-step process. So what about someone that, say, has a, has a weight loss goal and potentially they've been moving away from their current weight? How would you reframe that goal and then set them up for those four
1: steps? Absolutely. Yeah, language is really important, mm. um, you know, and there's, there's always going to be an emotional tie-in to any goal. But for a weight loss goal, it's absolutely understanding what the person wants to move away from, why they want to move away from it, and then creating the vision of what they do want. And you've, you've probably you know, had experience in this area with people that are like, I want to lose 10 kilos or five kilos or whatever, and then they've got the end date It's because I'm getting married or because of this or because of that. It's about taking that really deep with them and opening their own level of awareness up and asking the questions around, well, when you do achieve this goal, so you're already presupposing they're going to achieve it and it starts to create a shift in their neurology with that language. So when you do achieve that goal, how are you going to feel? What are, what are you going to look like? Absolutely. How are you going to feel putting on those new pair of jeans? What emotions come to light? How do you think you're going to move through your days? What's the energy level that you'll have? And what about your self-confidence? Like where is that going to sit? So really digging deep into the emotional space to create a shift in their neurology is, is, is very, very important. And part of that is understanding and working with them around what drives them. So as humans we all have six core human needs I guess if you like and it drives all of us but how they work is different in every person so it's it's being able to say you know what are the key drivers what are you going to get out of looking and feeling like this every single day and on top of that what are you willing to give up to achieve that so some of those more difficult questions are really important for shifting their mindset at a At an actual neurophysiological perspective so they can focus on that bigger vision rather than just, I'm going to lose 10 kilos because I want to look good. It's, it's got a lot of substance to it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Very interesting. All right. So then for our athletes, I mean, you've obviously got a lot of experience here as well. So let's talk about some performance strategies and perhaps we'll break it down into training and race preparation, um, and then things like tapering and racing. But to start, let's talk about training and and some key performance
1: strategies around that. The biggest one that I would say if, if, and this is from personal experience as well as my professional experience, the key, and this sort of links into motivation as well, the key to really good preparation and training is to ritualise what you do make make habits create really good habits around not only your training but your nutrition your recovery do things regularly and consistently and and the more routine and the more almost boring we can make it if you like not not to use the word boring lightly but to make it really habitual that's where we're going to find the most moment momentum so above and beyond all like having worked with elite athletes, having worked with ultra endurance runners and and mountain bikers, um, the resilience, the grit, the commitment, those things are really important but the ritual that you create, whether it's getting up at the same time every morning and, you know, doing the workout or going to bed at the same time or getting the massage at the same time each week, um, those rituals are really key to success.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. And what about when it comes to getting yourself ready for race day?
1: Yeah, race day is always um, an interesting one and very different across different athletes and different people depending on whether they've competed or not in the event they're about to compete in or if it's, you know, the fifth time they've done it. Um, And it's it's the big thing, and this is something that I went through personally when I did my first half Ironman, I was with um, a friend at the time, and he was—he got excited around things that were new and unfamiliar, and he got really excited about it. And I was so nervous. <laughs> I was mm. like, you know, and I'd, I'd done events longer than this in a different capacity, and I just my mentality went to nerves, whereas his went to excitement. And with with my passion for human behaviour, I was like, all right, why why are we so different here? We're both embarking on you know, the same new event and I love what I do and I love everything that it's made of, what's the difference? And and looking at looking at emotions and the way our brain works. Nervousness and excitement sit very next to each other on the spectrum of emotions. So it's really about being able to be mindful, mindful breathing, mindful meditation, those sorts of things are really valuable to help shift the anxiety back into that flow state of excited but calm at the same time and really ready um, and again it 's about focusing on the outcome in mind and trusting not only in yourself and your body but trusting in the process that you 've been through that your nutrition was on point, that your recovery was on point, and that you 've done the training because ultimately race day is all about having fun and and doing the best performance that you can have so you know, being able to, to really get into that mindful space and bring it back to right, what's what's the outcome and what's the purpose and what are the emotional drivers I'm going to feel when I finish this and and know that right now I've got to trust in myself 100% and I'm going to have fun doing it. They're the keys to performance, you know, even on the world stage. Um, one of my snowboarders recently won the X Games and, you um, one of the things he said was, got to a point where he had to just stop thinking, and trust in what he knew, and go out and have fun. And he killed it, you know. So, it's all about it's all about that mindfulness, getting back into a, a level of flow, and trusting in the fun and the process.
0: Yeah, it really does. You know, sounds almost so simple when you break it down that way, but you know a lot of us can get in our own way on race day and i've had plenty of clients that you know might get caught up in things like the conditions like the weather for example or um when maybe their speed or power output or pace or whatever it might be is not going 100% to plan i think people can really become their own worst enemy in this kind of scenario by not being able to step back away from those external factors that are essentially, you
1: know, often outside of your control. A hundred percent, yeah. And it is, it's that that—it's that need for looking for some sort of control or certainty in what we're doing and, you know, it's, it's being able to recognise that. I think awareness is one of the biggest factors in being able to shift the mindset and the mentality. So being able to recognise, all right, well, I can't control the weather Yes, my power output may be down for where my plan is, but how can I shift my focus from those extrinsic factors and bring it to an intrinsic factor of how am I actually feeling at the moment? Where am I at in the race? Where am I tracking towards at this pace? And do I actually feel okay to push a little bit or am I better off staying where I'm at so it's it's really shifting that need for certainty and that need for control from the outside world back internally and being able to evaluate you know and this is this is part of training you need to practice this in training as well is being able to evaluate where you're actually at from a physiological perspective and you know if I have had experiences with athletes being very dependent on ergs and monitors and those sorts of things that they do lose track of where they're at from a physiological perspective where their fatigue levels are at where their energy levels at and it creates concern it creates that fear and that uncertainty that you talk about so one of one of my my key questions i like to ask people questions to trigger their awareness is is often just the basic things you know if they're stressing about the weather it's like can you control the weather and are you going to be able to start and do your best no matter what? You know, are you willing to do that? You know, when they're very aware of the fact that they can't control the weather, um, then they get to make a decision of I have to do it anyway. I've decided to do it anyway and I'm I'm going for it. So those sorts of moving them from the outside world back into the inside world of, of what is real within their body is really important.
0: Yeah, and I think it's also – Shifting the goal from being purely about a time because I think, you know, it's not necessarily the weather per se that might be bothering them. It's the fact that they feel like, okay, it's windy, so I'm going to be riding slower, which means I'm not going to hit X time. Mm. You know, whereas, you know, if that's not the only goal you have, then there's so much more along the way that you can celebrate in terms of what you get out of that race day or that event.
1: A hundred percent, absolutely, and that's where setting those big vision purpose-driven goals are really important. So it's, you know, it becomes around the beliefs and the drivers and what they're going to get out of completing the event as opposed to, I guess, I – you know working with swimmers it's very much a, a time perspective but at the end of the day it's it's actually about whether they come in first place second place or third place as opposed to fifth or sixth as opposed to the time that they're getting yeah so it's really about looking at what is what is the real purpose as opposed to just the the outcome the external outcome measure you know what do you want to get out of the day and being able to help them reconnect with that you know reconnect with you've actually been through the journey and you're at the start line and that's part of, that's the first part of the purse. So what's the next part that you want to focus on, you know, and if it's, if you often find that it's um, people wanting to prove that they can prove to themselves that they can stretch their physical limits, that they can stretch their mental limits, then, you know, it's really about, almost shifting their focus from a particular time onto the energetic and the emotional substances that's behind those goals.
0: Yeah, I agree. And, yeah, not just being time-focused. It's similar with, you know, the athletes that I work with. Um, You know, looking at where you sit within your age group is a much better outcome than a time, which can be dependent on so many external factors
1: so true absolutely yeah you know it could just be that everyone's having a really crap day and everyone does a bad time it doesn't mean that you're any worse or any better than anyone else and, and the opposite is true it could be everyone's on and has a great day and you annihilate the time you set for yourself so you know it's 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 really important to be able to monitor um, and I would suggest that you, this is probably similar with with nutrition as well it's really a important to be able to monitor your own mind state and your own emotional state and your own physical state to make decisions throughout so you're actually achieving what you're setting out to achieve that's not just driven by time yeah it's almost like um it's the time the time thing's almost like a money goal that people set you know and often you know people are just People like money, but they, they tend not to be really motivated or driven by money. There's always something deeper to it. So they wonder why they sabotage their goals when they just set a really superficial type of um, outcome, which, you know, time in races, particularly longer-distance races, triathlon, those sorts of events, um, you know, time becomes really, really... Innocuous, you know, almost like it's it's sort of it's a goal, but it's it can't be the be all and end all because there are so many variabilities, right? So it's to keep you going. It's what's un, underpinning that that time. Is it to better your own time? Is it to compete about yourself? To compete with yourself? Um, and when it comes to competing with yourself, it's all about the journey and what you're getting out of it. Yeah, what you learn about yourself along the way. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and the different ways you learn to push yourself to complete an event. I remember when I did my first 100K Oxfam trail run because we didn't want to walk it, we decided to run it. Um, It was, you know, we had a goal, a time goal set but through, you know, by K40 or K50, you're like, okay, now I just want to finish it <laughs> in one piece. And by the 75th kilometer, you're kind of like, okay, now I actually really just want to finish alive, <laughs> so to speak. So your benchmarks change a little bit, but the driver still stays the same. It's all about, you know, how, how far can I stretch my body and my mind and, you know, what challenges can I overcome in that process?
0: Yeah, I completely agree. So you've spoken about mindfulness um, a little bit. So talk to us more about how we can use this skill in
1: our training and in regards to our nutritional choices. Mm, absolutely. It's it's really big, the mindfulness um, strategy in the psychology world at the moment and, and through both elite sporting worlds and business, corporate, there's a, there's a lot of businesses taking up you know, mindful meditation at the start of the day, that day at the moment, which is really good. And it's helpful to, well, it's helpful for many reasons, but it really gives us back a centered feeling of self. It puts us back in the driver's seat of who we are. And most of all, how we respond to the emotions and the external factors that come up in our day-to-day life it increases our awareness and it enables us to be able to tolerate I guess perturbations from the main track from what we think is going to happen it it gives us that space if you like to sit back and almost analyze but at least question okay well why am I feeling this way do I need to react um based on a, an old habit, an old pattern, and then wonder why I did it, or have I actually got the space now within me to respond to a certain thing? Food's a really good one. You know, the, the emotional eating um, title that that often goes with people's, if you like, eating habits Um mindfulness gives you the space like be even just five minutes of mindfulness in the morning or just making a a space to have your food like actually sitting down and ritualizing your eating habits creates that space for you to really tune into your body of what food you actually really enjoy Um, what food you know is nourishing you and even to the, the space of satiety you know not overeating and binge eating and those sorts of things till all of a sudden you're like oh gosh I've eaten too much and I feel a bit ill having that mindful practice allows that space and opens the awareness from a mental perspective to really tune into your body and assess what's going on in any given situation and similarly with training Um, It really helps you to set your intentions which will guide you through the session or the day and it allows you to focus your attention in the right place. So the attention of that intention of what you want to achieve in a certain session, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I think that awareness is really important when it comes to food choices because, you know, we live in a society where we forget to prioritise what we put in our mouth and we eat, you know, either standing up or over emails and, you know, we have all these goals with regards to what we want to achieve from a health point of view, but we almost forget to connect the dots with how important those food behaviours are. Mm,
1: yeah, 100%. And that's where with the um – with the goal setting strategy I use, the EI- ESIP strategy, the implementation is really important, and that's where mindfulness does come in. Because yeah, you're right, we have goals, but often we don't sit down to think, well, what do I need to do to achieve them, and what do I need to stop doing them? Stop, stop doing that is actually inhibiting my success. Because ultimately, everything we do, from brushing our teeth to the bigger things in life is a strategy. It's a pattern. It's a it's a habit or a ritual that we've created somewhere in our brains neurology. So it's to break those patterns um, is definitely about awareness first and foremost, and being able to recognise when we you know when we are eating over email or you know when we're eating on the run. Especially, in, it's such a you know instant gratification gratification and convenient world, it's about really slowing down and going deep mentally and emotionally but also making space with time and saying, you know what, I'm actually going to not check my emails for just 10 or 15 minutes while I eat my food because, you know, the emails are still going to be there. Um, And creating that space. Creating space for anything is super, super important but understanding that the, the things we do do are because we've created habits from them and um, being able to raise that awareness is the first catalyst to change um, to help us shift those habits to more resourceful and sustainable ones that are getting us the outcomes we want.
0: Yeah, for sure. So have you got some other strategies that you teach in, t- in terms of the mindset required to shift eating pa- patterns or what we can actually do from a practical sense?
1: Yeah, I often um, I often speak to people around their... So just a brief, so with your beliefs, beliefs are convenient stories that we've created that really drive how we do anything in our world, but there's five layers of beliefs from our global beliefs through to our identity right down to these rules that we create about things. So particularly with mindset um, and eating, I like to coach people on understanding, first of all, why they have a particular goal and then understanding why they haven't achieved that yet. And it's as simple as asking yourself, okay, well, why haven't I achieved what I set out to achieve yet? What have, what am I doing that is stopping me from achieving that goal? So that's the first strategy is being really aware of the things that are not creating success in eating. And then the second thing is looking at how food is attached to our identity because our identity is a really strong driver of what drives us to do what we do so is are our eating habits based on an identity of self doubt are our identity or our are our eating habits based on our identity of my social life is eating food with friends as opposed to going for a walk with friends like where where does food fit into our identity and when we can have a look at that we can ultimately take responsibility for the things that we're doing that are not helping us succeed so the biggest strategy i guess the biggest key to that is really knowing yourself and looking at all right i need to be really honest with myself i need to be really true with myself when When am I running the habits that are keeping me from my goals and what's the trigger? And often it will be there's all different types of triggers, whether it's stress or tiredness or loneliness or excitement, um, whatever those triggers are. It's being, again, mindful of those triggers and saying, all right, well, the trigger is this, the outcome is I look for." whether it's chocolate or alcohol or whatever people look for, and then making a conscious decision to shift that. And, and conscious decisions and commitment are the, the two biggest strategies that create habits and rituals, that, and that leads to performance and success really. And the, the misnomer of the 21 days to make or break a habit needs to be tripled. It's actually about 63 days to create a habit. So it's about really setting your mind to that longer-term lifestyle shift and just making daily choices, making daily commitments to this is my intention, I'm going to eat great food and that looks like whatever Steph has given me <laughs> and, and choosing that daily. The second part of that is then acknowledging yourself for the work that you're doing. Like I think we don't celebrate our successes and we don't acknowledge ourselves well enough in western society and that's a big part of where our self-esteem comes from so you know being able to do great things create great strategies and acknowledge and celebrate that is really important and then you know the flip side is if we sort of fall off the wagon making sure first of all we're jumping off the wagon we choose to jump off the wagon we're making a conscious decision to do something outside of the scope that's getting us to where we want to go whether, you know, and in the eating space it could be consciously choosing to, you know, I'm going to sit down, I'm having, you know, a piece of cake today, I'm choosing to do that. And when it's a conscious decision then we tend not to beat ourselves up over it, which is another driver to moving us away from the success that we're wanting. So I guess to simplify that because that was a lot of talk is, you know, be aware make conscious decisions around what you do want to do and what you don't want to do, but really understand your triggers, understand what triggers you to want to, I guess, deviate from what's taking you in the place of where you want to go and and make a great decision around that. Yeah,
0: I think the triggers are really important because, you know, it's very easy to say, okay, I'm going to eat clean today or I'm not going to eat this today, but I like what you said about what are the behaviours or what are the triggers that lead to that behaviour. So, you know, stress is a good example or the nighttime eating is one that comes up quite a lot. Um, Mm. So I think, you know, just simply not eating at night is not necessarily the answer when it's something that you've done for so long. So putting in a new behaviour to replace that and obviously then practising that behaviour is what's going to enforce the you know, the the longer-term goal.
1: Yeah, 100%. And that's where it links into your self-esteem and identity as well because it is about about almost reconnecting the strategies you're already running but with more resourceful outcomes. So, yeah, you're right. Instead of not eating or eating, you know, something that's not great for you, it's about making that conscious decision of, you know, what, you know, if I'm, When I become the person who's fit, lean, running ultra marathons, whatever the goal might be, when I become that person, what are the habits that I'll be running and what things will I have let go of? So it could be the habits that I'll be running is if I do need to eat at night, it's something really, you know, resourceful, it's healthy, it's nutrition, it's fueling me, it's helping me repair, it's helping me recover and it's adding to – who I'm becoming as opposed to pushing me back a step.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And
1: those making behavior- a better choice. Yeah, and those behaviors are, are where you start to create rituals or habits.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really important point to remember that you can obviously make that choice and then, you know, whilst initially it can be quite challenging to keep making that choice when, of course, you know, we'd rather the cake or whatever it might be, Mm -hmm. um, but understanding that, you know, it is up to you to make that decision as to which choice is going to move you towards your goals and that, you know, being okay with the fact that it's not easy necessarily straight away, but Mm -hmm. we forget that, you know, we can liken these habits or behaviors to many others. You know, you don't walk into a Spanish class and start speaking fluently. So why should we expect to, you know, find making a better choice at night A habit straight away. I mean it's not going to be. It's gonna take a bit of work until you start to make it more subconscious and habitual.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, and that's a really great analogy. And that's you know, it's it's something that rings true across so many avenues and so many aspects of life with goal setting is it does take time and it's a process and it's an evolution. You know, and one of the I think one of the biggest things that has helped not only athletes but some of the more like the business owners and the leaders that I work with is being able to help them get to a place where they can choose consciously what they're going to do and in the food space it's it's almost it sounds a bit counterintuitive which, you know, that sort of happens with life and success really. The things that you don't think are intuitive are often the things that get you the results. And it's, you know, when I say fall off the wagon, it's actually choosing to stop the wagon and jump off. It's actually saying, you know what, I'm going to choose right now consciously to eat that cake or drink that wine or whatever it might be. And when you start to make conscious choices around the things that are not moving you in the direction ultimately of your dreams, if you like, you um, you start to stop choosing that. You start to go, hold on, I don't actually want the cake. Why am I choosing it if I don't want it? You know, and you start to realise where the habits lie. And that again, that, that again just starts with language, like literally putting the I consciously choose or I now consciously choose to, you know, whatever it might be, eat, drink, other. Um, it starts to help people raise their own level of awareness to what they're doing. And, and that in itself helps them question why they're doing it. And when it's not aligned, it's much easier to not choose that. I used to love eating, you know, whole, almost a <laughs> whole tub of ice cream after my long runs in the bush when we were doing sort of 40, 50K runs. I'd come home and be like, oh, give me ice cream. I just want ice cream. And it wasn't until I started choosing that. It was like I actually i am choosing to eat this and a lot of it, and I started to realize, hold well, I actually don't really even like it. Like, why am I eating it if I don't actually really even like it? You know, so I hardly eat it now, which is, you know, it wasn't through beating myself up or working really hard to avoid it or, you know, try and substitute that with something else. It was literally the realisation of why am I eating something I don't like, you know, not to mention that it's not actually helping me with my training and it wasn't adding anything else beneficial to my health and nutrition habits. But when I was like, oh, okay, well, I don't like it. Well, that's just silly. I don't need to eat it anymore. So it was through that conscious decision of first of all choosing it and realising that I don't need to choose it anymore.
0: Yeah, certainly at least the awareness is where it needs to start obviously because we do a lot of these um, default habits simply because that's what we've always done. So obviously having a a, a discussion with yourself around whether that is conducive to your goals is where it needs to start and I think that self-awareness ongoing is really, really important because, you know, that's how you can keep fine-tuning those goals because they won't necessarily be static at all.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, nothing's nothing's ever static. Um, everything's everything's always moving. Everything's always dynamic. So it's it's about how you decide to move with that and direct that that movement in the direction that you want it to, to be moving in, if you like.
0: Yeah, and what about self confidence? You've mentioned that a few times, and I do like where you linked that to um, celebrating the wins when you do you know, when you do achieve those goals. But how else can self-confidence help us in, say, you know, our performance base and with our relationship with food?
1: Yeah, confidence and self-esteem are probably two of the biggest things that um, I end up working with people on even though they often don't realise that's what's inhibiting them to achieve their success. And self-esteem I guess confidence comes from self esteem, but confidence also comes from. They're, they're two different things. So confidence comes from being able to embrace unknown and uncertain situations and try it anyway. And from that comes courage. And then when we repeat that cycle, we then become confident in it. It's like you say, say walking into the Spanish class. You know, it's it's. We get excited, a little bit nervous, it's unknown, we go there, we learn some stuff and over time we become a little bit more courageous walking into the room and we're good and then by the time we can speak Spanish there's our confidence and what people do is they often wait for confidence to show up before they do anything and it's the the opposite way that that cycle works because of that as a result of waiting for confidence showing up we tend to let ourselves down we tend to set intentions or make promises to ourselves that we don't keep and because of that because we you know either prioritize other things or other people and let ourselves down in those situations then that gives our that our self-confidence or our self-esteem I should say takes a real hit as a result of that you know and it becomes a cycle of almost being okay with with letting our own promises and our own rules slip and as a result of that we start to make excuses for that so it's this constant beating down of our level of self-esteem and ultimately it it does inhibit us from achieving whatever it might be, whether it's creating a new habit or, you know, success on the world stage, there needs to be an element of trust in yourself, there needs to be an element of belief in yourself, and there needs to be a really big element of self-responsibility, personal responsibility and commitment to oneself, you know, and that's in terms of nutrition and eating habits, if you're constantly – giving your self-esteem a bit of a beating by letting yourself down each time you set an intention or a promise then it's going to continue to validate that cycle which means you're going to look to keep doing it so it's really about being okay with filling yourself up first it's being okay with loving yourself with acknowledging yourself for the little wins you know, it might literally be I was going to go and eat three tin tams but I put two of them back and I gave the packet to someone else. Like little wins like that, it's it's really celebrating those, it's acknowledging those and putting those in the memory bank to start to fuel our level of self-belief and that then in turn, in turn moves into that that courage and confidence cycle. So, it's a really strong driver. And in the western world, um, you know, without blaming western society and all of that sort of stuff, but in the western world having traveled to some other cultures, we really don't celebrate our success as well. We really downplay it um because of the fear of being judged or criticized or you know, all of those sorts of things which that's another, that's another conversation altogether but um, being able to set yourself intentions for yourself, committing to yourself and taking personal responsibilities, how you build a really solid self-esteem and that will drive your level of confidence and then your level of performance on the day. Like imagine imagine an athlete getting to the start line at an Olympics and they they don't back themselves, they don't trust in the work that they've done over the last four years, you know. You can predict the outcome of the race instantly, right? Yeah. yeah. So it's about every day, like, you know, those days where it's just hard to get up and train, you know, you're sore and you're tired but you do it anyway. It's it's those days that you go, I did so well today, you know, and yay me, good on me, like – I really proud of myself for doing that and really owning that confidence like it doesn't have to be arrogant confidence it's Mm. just that deep inner certainty and knowing that you know a you're valuable as a person as a human being anyway and what you did today was outstanding and well done like being able to to give yourself that acknowledgement is really really valuable
0: yeah I love that and I think certainly something where yeah, we we don't do enough of, and it does. It really changes the whole outcome. And I think you know a degree of fake it till you make it can apply here as well because you you know maybe it is your first race, like you were speaking about earlier. Um, but you know, being nervous or self depreciating is obviously not going to be really helpful. Um, and you know, you, you won't have that evidence until you finish the race. So it's about setting yourself up with those beliefs to before you can collect the evidence.
1: Absolutely, yeah, and trusting in trusting in what's unknown and uncertain because really, you know, control is an illusion, right? What we know, the outcomes, it's always an illusion. It's what we think is going to happen or a perception or, you know, even our fears, it's all a perceived um, fear or threat or danger and those sorts of things. So it's really, it is really trusting in the unknown even when you haven't got that full trust and that ref those reference points to believe and trust in yourself yet, it's... It's embracing the unknown. It's embracing the process and and going with it rather than resisting it. And I think there is an element of yeah, fake it till you make it for sure. I think part of that is being able to maybe reframe that to, um, you know, just just do it until you make it because there's there's an element of unconscious. Um, belief that goes in with the faking it and not believing in ourselves because it's because of the language we use around it but it is it's just it's trusting in the process and and going for it anyway you know looking at it as a big adventure and you know knowing that whatever happens happens and whether it's a great outcome a good outcome or a not so great outcome that you'll be okay that you'll deal with it you'll grow from it and you'll learn from it and take all of that great stuff into the next experience because it's often, it's often the things that don't go right that we learn from. So it's about looking at it from both sides of the coin and going, you know what, either way, if it's a race, you know, if I if I hit my goals and I smash my goals, it's going to be great. And if I don't, I'm going to learn from it and grow from it and I'm going to enjoy the process anyway. Um, and that sets you up to succeed more than the opposite of Oh my God, I can't control this, this is too hard, I'm freaking out, I can't do this and and those sorts of inner self talk yeah that that sort of inner dialogue, so it definitely all starts with language, doesn't it? Oh, so powerful, yeah, our internal dialogue is so so powerful, and then when we vocalize that, it becomes so much more tangible and real, so you know, I often say to my clients. How do you how do you talk to yourself? Like do you talk to yourself like you were your best friend or do you talk to yourself, you know, like you're an enemy and you know, that you're really hard on that person all the time? And when people think about that, like, oh wow, okay. Yeah, I shouldn't talk to myself like <laughs> the yeah. way I um so powerful. You know, it's 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 something that I don't think we're taught in schools a lot. I think, you know, the education system's changing a little bit, but it's definitely not something that is promoted. That you know, positive self-talk and being real, but positive at the same time, and and being okay with either outcome is it's really valuable as well. It's it's looking at it and going, well, what can I do? What do I know? And how can I really step that up? And knowing that if it doesn't work, then we'll process that if and when it happens, as opposed to creating it before it happens.
0: Yeah, stopping those stories. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Excellent. So just I think in terms of some homework for our, our, our listeners, I'd love really just for them to have a little bit of a takeaway. So why don't we do just a, a summary there of – um the, the goal setting and, and taking that forward into uh, what else we've discussed today. So some of the things that you mentioned around um, the, so choosing the goal that, you know, moves you towards your vision. So the language is rather than I need to lose weight, it's something like, um, how would you rephrase that?
1: I would reframe that. And obviously, you know, if it, if it is a weight loss goal, I would reframe that around I I will Using using necessity based language, so I will feel great. Look, you know, if it's a male or female, I guess I will feel great. I will look look hot and sexy. Like embrace that stuff, right? I will I will feel um, like I want to bounce out of bed every morning, and I will feel proud of eating raw, whole, nourishing, colorful, nutritious food. I will feel certain and confident in myself for being able to choose when I treat myself those sorts of those that sort of language is really important and really bringing the emotion and the feeling into it it's easy for people to um, really start to raise their energetic or emotional energy to certain things with language because they can they can feel it it has a like a vibration level in their body so being able to get them to literally speak it and vocalize it and you might find that some people are really nervous at the start they'll be like I want to be really confident so it's it's (laughs) about going tell me that now with conviction you know Mm. tell me you want to be confident and sexy and energetic and light and feel you know full of energy and want to be bouncing and skipping around the streets all day like tell me that with confidence and when they start to do that you see it shift something something inside them shifts so that's that's the first part of creating that that bigger vision that purpose behind the weight loss you know because weight loss becomes one strategy right it's the nutrition that makes them feel great because they're eating much better, higher vibration foods, as well as the weight loss. And then on top of that, it's the activity that they do as well. They're moving their body. So it's all of these components coming into this, this goal. So I'd re- reframe it with a really confident, high vibe, energetic, and emotional language around it, spoken language and written.
0: Yeah, I think the same thing can definitely apply for a performance goal. Like you know, putting some detail into it just like your answer there which wasn't just a statement necessarily. It was lots of different factors and feelings and outcomes. So I think being able to spend the time to brainstorm the goal um you know, super useful for performance situations as well because you want to, as we said earlier, move away from it just being about the time but looking on at what else you're going to achieve throughout the training and on race day and
1: what the other outcomes are that you are hoping to achieve. A hundred percent. And And one question that people can, your listeners can keep asking themselves to really get to that higher goal is for what purpose, you know, for what purpose do I want to lose five kilos? For what purpose do I want to feel good after losing five kilos? For what purpose? You know, that chunks up the goal to something bigger and much more, I guess, emotive than, you know, the moving away of losing five kilos. So for what purpose is really, really valuable to, to do the big picture And then asking themselves when they get to that smaller picture, how specifically will I feel? How specifically will confidence, when I'm more confident, play out in my day-to-day life? How specifically will that play out in my relationships? So really adding both big picture and small picture substance to it creates a really solid, substantial goal.
0: Yeah, beautiful. And then you mentioned about... um, obviously what drives you, so looking at, you know, what are the key drivers to achieving that goal and what you're potentially willing to give up to achieve this, which I liked because, you know, you, there obviously needs to be a change that occurs for you to achieve that goal because, you know, what you're doing at the moment is probably not getting you there necessarily. Um, and then also I think, you know, the the actual writing down those triggers to maybe what isn't working and then allowing yourself to celebrate those wins when you do achieve those mini goals is a really, really great place to start.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, what do you want? How bad do you want it? What are you willing to give up for it? What are the triggers of those things that you need to stop? You know, and and what effort are you willing to – it's almost what – Price are you willing to pay for it? You know, there's this universal law of um, cause and effect. So, you know, wishing, waiting, and hoping for the goals to fall in your lap is not not going to happen. So, what are you willing to pay for it? What energy, what effort are you willing to put into it? What are you willing to give up for it? Is um, yeah, is very very powerful. yeah,
0: amazing. Yeah, amazing. Lots of take-homes for everyone today, I believe. So tell us more about where um, our listeners can find out about you and certainly if they're looking to um, get some more personalised support.
1: Yeah, awesome. Um, I have a website which is under construction at the moment, um, but they can go to it. It's So bossstrategies.com.au otherwise I'm on Facebook a lot of the work that I, I do is through Facebook so again the, the Facebook page is Boss Strategies um, or they can find me at Marissa Downs on Facebook.
0: Excellent head to the show notes team all the links will be there for you to access thanks so much for being a part of the show Marissa it was awesome. great to chat with you
1: yeah I appreciate it. it was awesome to chat to you